Hey guys, welcome back to the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. I am very excited. Everyone says that. I'm very excited for my next guest, but I actually was very excited for this podcast uh, for a couple of reasons. I've admired uh, Michael and what he's done from afar for a while, and we connected on social, and we were on a uh, Zoom call together, of course. See, these Zoom calls are networking opportunities. Um, anyway, um, he is a successful restaurateur, entrepreneur. Um, he connects with people who I've connected with um, in terms of personal branding and social media. So I felt like there was a lot of uh, synergy that we would have there. So um, Michael is not only an established restaurateur and entrepreneur, but I started following him on social because he's also in fantastic shape and he was posting his workouts, which are very difficult um, to pull off. Uh, at least they were for me. But I wanted to see how he was managing his time, how he was squeezing in these workouts and running his restaurant. So uh, in this episode, we get into that. He is a, a fantastic resource, and I really appreciate him taking the time and um, sharing what he has learned and what he plans on doing with his stores uh, during the whole COVID-19 uh, crisis and beyond. So hope everyone is safe and they are healthy and they're taking care of one another. Uh, it is a unique, unprecedented time for uh, this country and we are doing what we can, uh, all of us collectively, to make sure restaurants stay a vital part of our lives, our economy, and our culture. So uh, thank you for listening and um, stay safe, guys. Hey guys, my name is Kyle and Sarah, and I'm what most people describe as a restaurant guy. I have one purpose in this podcast and on all my social media platforms, and that is to do my part by sharing my experience and what I've learned in helping to reduce the failure rate of restaurants in this country. Look, I didn't do everything perfect. I don't have all the answers, but what I can share with you is my experience, what I did right, what I did wrong, and what I would do exactly the same. I'm also going to have guests on who are going to tell their story and help share some of their insight so that you restaurant owners and operators can learn from other people in the country, realize that you're not alone. A lot of these issues we all have had, we've all experienced, and collectively we can do our part to help make sure that restaurants continue to thrive in our communities and continue to be sources of uh, employment, places of gathering, and whatever comes in the future, we're all going to do it together. So this is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hey, what's up, man? What's going on, dude? I didn't have the uh, I didn't have the Zoom and the calendar invite. I know I'm slacking. I'm still trying to figure out all these links and shit I have to do. It's not really my thing. <laughs> I know it, dude. It's uh, it's definitely the whole. I get it. I've been you doing know, the same like shit. Restaurant guys, and I said like from the beginning, are built for this because you constantly always have to figure out how to be the plumber, how to be like the Doctor Phil. Now you just got to figure out tech a little bit more. Yeah. 
Um, so thanks for chatting for a little bit. Uh, did you actually want to record the podcast today? You just wanted to have a little quick chat to see what it was all about. I'm I'm down for whatever. How long oh, are they? How long are the? Are they, Twenty minutes. How long are the recording? Yeah, Twenty let's minutes. go for it. All right, cool. All right, Mike. I you know, a lot of podcasts will start say, "Hey, tell us a little bit about yourself and your story." But I think a lot of people know your story. But if you want to take ten seconds here, um, why don't we start there? Sure. Um, so you're recording? Yeah. Oh, great. Uh, well, my name, my name is Michael Chernow. Um, I am a uh, born and raised New York City guy. Uh, have been working in restaurants since I'm around 13 years old. In 2010, I launched a restaurant concept called The Meatball Shop with my partner, Daniel Holzman. Uh, we grew that brand to six restaurants when I uh, decided that I wanted to go create again and launch another brand. And so we worked out a great plan for that. And um, I stepped down and launched another brand called Seymour's, uh, which is a sustainable seafood concept that I, I founded in 2015 and opened up six of those. And uh, yeah, so we got a bunch of restaurants in New York. And now I'm sort of thinking about what the future looks like. Uh, obviously, it's a lot different now than it has been ever. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to stay nimble um acclimate to the current situation and figure out how to create something um that makes sense for the future so what's the state of those restaurants right now are you guys open doing pickup and delivery and all that stuff uh so we we all you know i still sit on the board of both companies so we um meatball shop we hopped on the phone everybody very quickly made a decision that we were going to keep the restaurants open um and do takeout and delivery Meatball Shop is doing pretty well. Um, we have we have some plans for uh, some of the some of the some of the stores uh, for the future. Um, the majority of the stores will probably just stay open as usual mm -hmm. once we're allowed to. But we're we're contemplating, um, you know, doing a couple of the stores as as just delivery and takeout hubs for the brand, cool. uh, as opposed to full service restaurants. Um, and then Seymour's, you know. Similarly, we hopped on the phone. I mean, I think I had both calls in, in the same day. Um, and, and the companies sort of work, work together. Uh, they're, they're totally different. There's, there's similar ownership, but because uh, some, some of the guys, some of the investors and some of the people that sit on the board actually have stake in both companies. Um, but uh, they're, they're run by totally different groups of people. So uh, Seymour's, because our takeout and delivery business is not nearly as, uh, as you know, kind of as successful, but it, it, we don't do nearly the amount of takeout and delivery at mm -hmm. Seymour's than we do at Meatball. So we decided to actually preserve as much cash as possible, not try to be martyrs um, yeah. and, uh, and, and try to sell seafood to the masses uh, for takeout and delivery just because it doesn't really work unless it's sushi and even sushi doesn't do so well. So we decided to close the restaurants um, until further notice. And that's where Seymour stands talking about, you know, potentially putting together a takeout delivery menu and, and trying it out in, in our most residentially located uh, store and seeing right. how that, that potentially does. But uh, right now, Seymour's is closed, Meatball Shop is open, and um, we're just taking it a day at a time. So you're kind of like on both sides of the fence here. You've got one that's kind of built for this kind of takeout model and the other one that's kind of like not so much and trying to figure it out. What were some of the decisions or what were some of the 
factors that went into deciding what to do at both locations? Or is there anything, one thing, or was it a set of things that you could really point to? Um, you know, I think really for us, uh, Meatball Shop has always been very successful in takeout and delivery. And, and in the early days of Meatball Shop, we were doing like 30% of sales uh, in takeout yeah. and delivery, you know, when there wasn't a Meatball Shop in every neighborhood in Manhattan. And so, um, you know, it's built for Meatball Shop, you know, luckily is built for travel. Um, meatballs travel very, very well. Pasta travels pretty well. Um, and, um, and so, you know, that concept is really built for it. And, uh, we had plans in, in the pipeline anyway, to sort of, um, you know, take a stab at fast casual with meatball mm -hmm. shop. And so that will most likely be what the future looks like for the brand. Very um, and so, you know, look, obviously we're not doing nearly the sales that we were doing because alcohol makes up a fair, about a fair bit of sales, yeah. but, um, you know, we're meatball shop you know, is, is, is going to be fine. And, and luckily, you know, the CEO of Seymour's, um, is an, is a great operator and we were very, you know, we were not cash poor at Seymour's. Um, we had cash in the bank and, uh, you know, we're all, we, we, both companies have received a PPP and we're all keeping our fingers crossed that that loan gets extended to 10 years. Um, uh, and sort of the stipulations on the loans will, will ultimately like actually work because right now they just don't. And so yeah. they put those things together very quickly. And, uh, and you know, to everybody's sort of like accounts, nobody knew at the time these things were getting developed, how severe and how long this, um, this pandemic was going to last. So the fact that they were able to get that kind of cash uh, and availability together so quickly is incredible. Yeah. But unfortunately it doesn't work for, um, restaurants in major markets because nobody's opening up their restaurants at 25 or 50 percent capacity it's just not going to it just you know the numbers don't make sense yeah you, so you hopefully are... like our like the conversations that we're having now is we're banking on the ppp you know getting sorted out that's like what i think what everybody's sort of trying to trying to do because if the ppd doesn't get figured out we're going to see massive casualties massive casualties you know, like yeah. you cannot, you cannot, if land, you know, I mean, if landlords don't conform to the way restaurants are having to conform in regards to sitting on your hands until business comes back to usual, then, you know, restaurants are just going to close and they're just going to hand back the keys. They're going to exercise their good guy clause. And that's going to be that. And it's going to be a very, very bleak future for the, for the, uh, for the dining scene in New York city. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because, you know, my day job, you know, I work in commercial real estates for restaurants and uh, in my night job, I own a restaurant in Larchmont here. And I actually used to, been meaning to talk to you about this for a while. I own, we started a concept in 2008 called Pulpatina in uh, Eastchester in Larchmont, New York. And it was like the day before opening, somebody was like, you know, there's a meatball shop in the city, right? And we're like, what? <laughs> so we we're familiar with the pasta and meatball game but i own a taqueria now and i talked to a lot of restaurants and a lot of landlords and this information that came down yesterday about the personal guarantees being waived for restaurants if they are you know are thrown under default under a certain period of time has caused landlords to like freak the fuck out and they're like hold on a second why am i going to be left holding the bag here um you know, what's your take on that? Are your landlords, have they been agreeable to sit down with the table of you? Are you guys working this out as partners or, or 
you wouldn't mind sharing? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, the truth is, is that I'm not as feet on the ground as my, my the CEOs of those companies right now. Um, however, I do know that uh, the vast majority of our landlords, if not, there's only, I think, there's two landlords that were having a little bit of a hard time in the beginning, um, but they've all sort of like, you know, agreed to have, you know, like reasonable conversations. And, you know, look, I think there's a few, there's a few different things, right? Like, I don't believe landlords are going to want to come back into the new way of living with a bunch of empty storefronts. That said, I do know that landlords are able to write off empty storefronts based on what their income was on, you know, you know, in their last deal. So I, I think it, there is a loophole there, right? Where landlords can actually get away with having an empty storefront for a few years and signing a, a, a stronger deal down the road. Yeah. I also, you know, most landlords are not dummies, right? Like they also know that like, they might not get a better deal in two years, right. uh, even with being on an empty space. Yeah. So I think, I think everybody's sort of weighing their options. Um, I, as a restaurateur, you know, look at this, a restaurateur with like right now, you know, having opened up 16 restaurants in my career, you know, and not, and not being the, the, at the helm of either one of those companies now, because I'm not, um, you know, thinking about future for me, like, I'm going to open up a restaurant in upstate New York. You know what I mean? Like I, I see a mass, I see a mass exodus happening in New York city. I was days away from signing a lease in Brooklyn before the, before COVID hit days away. Wow. And, um, and you know, it's, it's, it's sad to me because I, I've, I've spent a ton of money on this new brand and I've got this whole new concept. And, you know, I, I mean, I dropped a, a ton of cash. Um, on this on this brand um and now i know that like that has to be back burnered for at least a year there's no way i'm signing a lease in manhattan right now and ever you know even though i know i can get an unbelievable deal for me to to sign a lease and and have zero clue of when that store is going to be fully occupied and if people are going to be going out like they used to right like i am positive in my heart of hearts that New York City nightlife and New York City, you know, food dining, in you know, full service dining will come back. It's it is part of the human condition yeah. for us to crave experience and memories, right? Like that is just what we we are we are communal beings, and so, you know, historically restaurants have you know have have been that those sort of community places where people do that at scale. Yeah. And so I just know that it's going to come back. I just don't know when. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, getting over, I mean, we can put all the procedures in place, the distancing, the masks and all that stuff, but the psyche of people and of the customers, I don't know how they get over it. I don't know how I would get over it. Like I'm dying to go out to a restaurant, but you got to put a lot more faith into the restaurant now and what, what, what they're doing to keep you safe. And I don't know what that's going to look like. I know some other parts of the country have, like boggled this whole thing that hasn't been a great re-entrance but connecticut seems to be doing okay so i'm kind of keeping my eye on what goes on there is connecticut fully reopened no they're open for outdoor dining only 
So like rooftops, you know, uh, over in Harbor Point over there by Stanford, uh, Greenwich, all these guys are open. But it's a little bit of a, a, you know, a situation because some of these guys who don't have so much outdoor space are like, this kind of sucks, you know, why, why not just put the onus on us to, to do some more? But uh, that's where it is now. They seem to be doing all right. And I guess keep an eye on that as, as sort of an indication of where it's going to go in our area. Yeah. Um, so what do you guys, you said you were thinking about some other things coming out of this. Um, where's your brain thinking right now? Where do you think the restaurant industry, what does it look like 18 months from now? Um, I think, uh, if you, you know, my sort of advice to anybody developing restaurants or, or, or currently has existing restaurants that are going to make it through. And I, I pray for everyone that they do. But I would, if you if you're if you're creating new concepts, you better make sure that whatever you're thinking about delivers well. And if you have something that currently uh, is existing and and there's a product that it, you know your 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 concept is is something that doesn't really deliver well. Like if you're trying to do something in this sort of like fine casual dining space or like casual dining space where it's full service just make sure that there is a menu in development there that um, will be suited for takeout and delivery. Because I do believe that we are going to see a lot less footfall over the next 18 to 24 months because people are getting used to just cooking at home for the first time ever, you know, and, or, and, or if they're not cooking, they're certainly just, they're doing takeout. Um, And I think, people are probably noticing that they're spending less money. Uh, and, um, and, 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 and once you get used to a certain style of, of dining, uh, you know, I think also like takeout in general has become a much bigger with seamless and grow, you know, seamless Grubhub and, and, you know, like we've all seen takeout become a bigger component of the industry. And, uh, you know, it's just it is it is going to be the future i think ghost kitchens are probably going to play a huge role in the future of restaurants um or in the future of eating you know um and so i i would just i would just urge anybody thinking about future concepts or 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 their current concept to really really start thinking about a menu that makes sense for travel yeah because i think it's going to be i think i think i think you know you're going to suffer if you don't have that. For sure. I mean, it's crazy to think because, you know, in March we were talking about how, how are we going to get people out more, you know? So like in retail spaces, we're creating these combined food and retail shopping experiences or like um, hacks throwing places. Like they were trying to look outside the box for this. Now it's like that experience doesn't matter anymore. Now it's all about how can you keep people safe? How can you deliver on your expectations, still provide some kind of experience, maybe at home or just in the way you handle stuff. But it's amazing how this industry has had to change like from one day to the next. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and that's why another thing, you know, like I feel kind of blessed that I've focused over the last number of years on building my personal brand outside of just the food guy, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, fitness and wellness and lifestyle, those are all things that I've been working on building. Um, in my personal brand, because personal brand, if you're, if you're not afraid to p- put yourself out there and you have uh, a story to tell and you resonate with a, with a, a group of people, 
I would also urge everyone and anyone to start doing that on top of what else, whatever else they're doing, because yeah. no one can take you away from you. But I learned very quickly in, in this, what was that? I'm so glad that you're talking about this because it, it, it's very relevant right now. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, look, you know, I've been, I've, I've, I've been focused on it for, for a while. Yep. Um, and, uh, and, I'm, and I continue to, to spend time uh, uh, on it. Really, I'm focusing on it more so than ever now. Uh, but, you know, a tangible business, something that you can touch and feel, mm-hmm. man, it can be taken away from you in a heartbeat. Yeah, to be, you know. yeah I, I'll tell you the truth. I was, um, I started, you know, paying attention to some of the stuff you guys did with the meatball shop and um, kind of follow what you were doing because it was always interesting to me how it seemed that you had like this balance and, and you and I have shared a mutual um, acquaintance. I'll share the name with you after this. But, um, and I was watching how you kind of conducted yourself in terms of your fitness and you're, I'm like, okay, I got to get my shit together. This guy's got how many restaurants? He's got his work on at some point. And then you started putting your stuff on a website and I was like, oh, here it is. And I'm like, okay, I'm out of shape. I can't do this, but I get the program. I thought it was awesome. And while I was there doing your workout, listening to the interview with Gary Vee, I was working at a company called CBRE, a massive commercial real estate firm. And they mm-hmm. were basically telling me, you can't build a personal brand. You, there is no personal brand here. There's, you lead with the shield. You lead with the big green shield and that's who we are, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then I got in trouble a lot. And they were like, take that down, make, sign this saying that you violated that. And I recently left to join a company called Saber where they are like, no, build your brand, be your brand, be who you are and go out there and do what you want to do. So I think it's particularly even for restaurants now to make that, to be their own personal brand, to be the owners behind it, to come out in front of it. And I think it's going to help them in the long term. I mean, there's no doubt, right? Like you put content out there and it's not about making money necessarily. It's about really developing a following of people that, that want to hear from you, that believe in you, that, um, that you can potentially help in some way, shape or form, create value. I mean, when we build restaurants, we create value in the culture that we, that we develop as a, as a group. You know, I believe that wholeheartedly in the restaurants that I've created, look, I didn't fucking, you know, I, I didn't invent the wheel, man, with meatballs, right? Like fucking meatballs, right? Like nobody had really done a meatball focused concept before, but I, my vision, with Daniel was to just make meatballs cool and get people excited about, about like, you know, nostalgia and in a, in a modern way. And so we did that with meatball shop, you know, and then with Seymour's, you know, it's fucking fish tacos, man. I mean, I'm not like out there, like I'm serving local fish, but it's like, it's fish tacos. So what I sell at these companies and what I really focus on is, you know, is I focus on culture. I sell culture in everything I do. It's about culture. It's about, it's about how you make the person feel, right? Like when I go to, if I travel for me, you know, if I travel to Italy and I walk into like a tourist spot, I don't feel anything. You know what I mean? Like I don't feel crap. I'm like, oh my God, look at that dried slice of pizza. Like, I'm just like, get me out of here. But if I walk into like, you know, uh, if I'm in like in, in, in Naples and I walk into like Damichele, I'm like, holy shit, this is like where it all started. Yeah, like, yeah. This is it. 
this right. is the totally. mecca. And so there's a difference in that feeling. It's, I haven't even tasted the food. Yeah. I just walk into the room and people are like, everybody around you is excited. The staff is just, they, you just know that they're in it. And, yeah. and that's what I sell at the businesses. You know, that's the difference. No, and I, I know you've mentioned that, like, I think the term was like culture cowboy or something like that. And that's so key and like getting people to buy into your concept. I just wonder, just in hearing you talk about it now, how much more of a challenge that might be after this, you know, like, I think a lot's going to be, I think the cream's going to rise to the top. The good operators are going to get all the good employees, but it's still going to be probably a challenge. So you got to make those employees feel safe too. Like they can count on you, like you're going to be there tomorrow. Right. I mean, that's probably another element to think of when, when you're trying to create culture now, I think. I mean, the culture doesn't exist without the people. Yeah. And I'm not talking about people that are, that are coming and paying the bills. I'm talking about the, the, the people that work within the company. That's my number one priority always and forever. Yeah. They are, and, I, and look, I didn't create that either. I mean, I read, you know, Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. Yes. Always believed in that philosophy because I was a technician for so many years before I became an actual restaurateur. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I mean... When I walk into any one of my restaurants, I don't even, I mean, I, eventually I make my way to the guest, but the first thing I do is I walk, I say hello to every single person that's working on the team. Yeah. I say, I make sure to like address them by name. I know a lot of, I know a lot of fucking names, you know, there's close to 700 people working at both companies uh, right now, unfortunately not, but uh you know, I address everybody by first name. I look them in the eye and I say, what's going on? You know, I give them a high five. I used to give them a hug, no more hugs. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and that's where it starts, you know. And every single time I walk out of a restaurant, I go downstairs to the dish pit, prep kitchen, upstairs kitchen, front of house, say thank you and goodbye to every single person. And that's just the, that. Those two things the most simplest, basic, grassroots hello and goodbye and thank you yeah. just goes so far, man. Yeah. It goes so far. I, I, and, I, and, I, and I do it because of, of the experiences that I've had. I mean, I bartended and served and cooked. And, you know, it sucks when you're working in a restaurant. You see the owner and he never even fucking throws you a, 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 a glance. Or he's like calling, like snapping his fingers in the middle of the dining room somewhere. He wants service. You're like, get me out of this place. It's awful. Look, I mean, look, I, I, I understand, you know, like there's a time and a place for having to lay down the hammer and like yeah. moving with urgency and like making shit happen. Like if you're owner of a restaurant and you're sitting at a table with a, with a guest of yours and you're trying to like, this is my restaurant and you're not getting the service that you want. Like, dude, that sucks. And if you treat your team like fam, when you come into the restaurant and you're sitting at a table with a guest, they're going to treat you like royalty yeah. because to them, you treat them and you, you, you are providing them with a livelihood. If they fucking hate you because you're an asshole and you treat them like shit, yeah. can't expect anything. Right. Yeah, I know. That's the thing is you think about how many people are reliant. You know, you have that one dishwasher who has a husband and has three kids at home. They're all reliant on you to execute there and the team around them. And you put that in perspective, you're like, holy crap, I got a lot of people relying on the success of this restaurant. So it's, I better be a nice guy. Look, man, it's like a restaurant is a, a restaurant could be the most wonderful work, work experience and, and workplace. Um, and it can also be the most 
toxic, dysfunctional, cancerous environment. And I've worked in both. Yeah. And um, it all stems, it all 100% stems from the top. There's I, anybody that would tell you anything different is just has not worked in a restaurant or in the industry long enough. Yeah. Because if the top is, if the top, the ownership and the leadership is, um, leads with their heart and leads with kindness. Yeah. Maybe you get steamrolled by some bad people, right? Like I believe, you know, there are bad people out there and there's no, no escaping bad people, but leading with your with like an iron fist doesn't it's it's just it's it, there's no there's no long-term fucking success in that it just doesn't people steal from you they talk shit as soon as you yeah. as soon as you walk away you know you know that's it i so i'm i have that little taqueria here in larchmont and the other day i was feeling like they were feeling just beaten down they were just feeling like it was a tiny cramped kitchen it's like taking breaks wearing masks I was like, why don't you guys go take a break? I'll clean, I'll clean the skirt steaks. And they were like, whoa, what? And they, yeah, they, they appreciate, they respect it. And then, you know, it comes back around too. And I think that's, you know, getting your hands dirty relating to your, to your staff is super important. Um, Mike, I don't want to keep you too long. I know you got a lot going on. I really appreciate the time, brother. Um, anything that you want to add here at the end? I guess I would just say this, you know, we're in the business of making memories and uh, sometimes those memories uh, are crappy, but our, our priority is as, as people in the industry of restaurants is to make memories that are fucking long lasting and positive. And I just know in my heart of hearts and at the core of my being that um, we will get back to where we once were. Uh, It might look a little different, but we will get back there. There's no doubt about it. There is um, a need, a desire, a demand, and um, for a uh, community in the human condition. And so, and we, we are masters at it. We, are, we have figured out a way to, to bring people together in a really positive environment. And, um, and, and we'll get back there. Um, and I, I know, you know, I mean, just might take a little time, man. Yeah, and I know. Everybody's got to stay positive and, you know. Um, and, and, and one other thing, I heard it recently, you know. Um, this guy said it really well. He said, you know, in a time like this, panic is the worst thing you can do. But overreacting is, is, is actually completely warranted. Panicking, nothing good happens in a panic. But preparing for the worst case scenario, smart. Yeah. So don't panic because panic is fear, fear inducing and people don't like to be around people that are panicking. Yeah, no. But you know what I mean? Like calmly preparing in the event that we have a surge again in the fall and everything goes fucking way back down and, you know, think about that stuff, prepare for it. Yeah. React, you know, in, in a, in a, in a calm manner, but, definitely think about what the future looks like in the event that something bad happens again. You know? yeah. I think this definitely put a mirror up to our industry and some operators who were like, thought they had it all figured out and now get hit with this curveball. And hopefully it's a learning uh, 
an opportunity to learn something and figure out something about your business. So uh, I'm like you, I remain optimistic about it. I will bet a thousand times on the independent restaurant owner in this country and their ability to survive any adversity. So um, let's hope for the best, brother. Thank you so much for the time. Absolutely, dude. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Take care. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the latest episode of the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. I want to take a second here and just remind you that, like I said earlier, my goal is to help reduce the failure rate of restaurants in this country. So what I did is I went on my Instagram and I created a link to my calendar. And if you head there and you click the link in my bio and you scroll down, you'll see that there's a drop down menu there and it says 15 minute phone consultation. So if you're a restaurant owner operator and you just have a quick question, you don't know where to turn, whether it's about operations, whether it's about a startup, how to find money or what to do with this particular server, whatever the case may be, I am there for you. It's a free 15 minute phone consultation and I'm here to help. So if you need it, you know how to find me and continue to listen and support the podcast. I would love if you would uh, share, comment, review, whatever, all that fun stuff. Uh, And I just appreciate the love and support I've been getting for this. So we're going to keep cranking them out. And if you're interested in being on the show, please hit me up. Best way to get a hold of me is on Instagram, or you can always text me at 631-965-1300. Thanks so much again, guys.